Hi, I'm Lindsay with Valentium, and I'm talking with medtech industry leaders on how they change lives for a better world. The inventions and technologies are fascinating, and so are the people who work with them. There was a period of time where I realized fundamentally my job was to go hang out with really smart people that are saving lives and then do work that would help them save more lives. I got into the business to save lives, and it is incredibly motivating to work with people who are in that same business, saving or improving lives. What better industry than where I get to wake up every day and just save people's lives? These are extraordinary people doing extraordinary work, and this is The Leading Difference. Hello, and welcome back to the Leading Difference Pod. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I am so excited to introduce you to my guest today, Allison Blunden Brown. Allison is the CEO of Luminel 360. She is a visionary leader with a passion for changing the lives of patients, providers, and caregivers, and inspiring teams to achieve their full potential. She has experience working with startups, venture-backed organizations, global partnerships, and corporations, as well as associations, NGOs, and global government agencies. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk with you. I'm excited to be here. It's, it's great to meet you, Lindsay, and to talk to your audience, and I look forward to it. Wonderful. Well, I'd love if you wouldn't mind starting off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, so I am currently the co-founder and CEO of a company called Luminel, and we, in essence, are a company that's focused in women's health, and we do that using our insights into what happens for women in diagnosis, especially in the office place, and we have a proprietary visualization system that physicians can use in their office. I wouldn't say it's just my job. It's actually a mission for me. So a little bit about me. I am a recovering scientist. I started in (laughs) chemistry and engineering, so I still have a little bit of that. I'm a nerd, whatever. And I was with J&J for a lot of years in GE and some really great, amazing companies. And I was trained in both the medical device and as well as in the consumer and pharma world. So I've had some really spectacular experiences with tremendous people and great physicians and their patients. And I've been in the women's health industry for a really long time. And in the company I'm in now, a few years ago, some physicians came to us and started talking about a problem that they were having. And I had to say, I really didn't understand or believe it because I've been, again, been doing this for forever. And they were telling me that the difficulties of something as simple as getting a uterine biopsy. What we started looking into is that the failure rate for uterine biopsies is 50%. And that just seems really unacceptable, right? Yeah. And so then the more I dug into it, the more I was learning about uterine cancer and how it's the fastest growing mortality rate. And that African-American women, if they're diagnosed with uterine cancer, they have a 90% mortality rate. Hispanics have a six times mortality rate. So it just doesn't make sense, right? Like what is going on? And really what I discovered 
was that the way we do endometrial biopsy is they do it blind. So it's like this little straw that goes in to, to try to take a sample and you're not taking the right spot and you're not taking enough tissue. And so we get these really high failure rates. And the reason I'm saying all this about that is it was shocking to me, A, as a woman and B, as a person who felt like I was extremely knowledgeable and had been doing this for forever. So I was honestly shamed that I didn't realize that this is such a major, but small, simple problem, right? So we've shifted all of our efforts really into creating this new device that we are going to launch any minute now, which is allowing physicians to do very easy sampling. And I will tell people, you know, it's the most meaningful thing I've ever done in my career. And again, had great opportunities to work on major launches, but this is, I feel like is kind of that legacy moment. People talk about that legacy moment and I feel like that's this for me. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You talked so much about it being so important and underrepresented and can't believe that there's this gap. And you know that, that seems to be coming out more and more. There's so much more awareness, there's chatter, there's emphasis on women's health. However, there's also, it feels like there's still such a barrier to progress. Yeah. Yeah, And I was wondering if you could touch on that because obviously you're at the forefront of this. You are the one who is paving the way, but it is tough. Yeah. So people always ask me this question about, oh, as a CEO, my job is 99% of the time I'm raising money, right? That's what you do when you're in a startup. You're raising money. You can never have enough money. You're always raising money. And so the question inevitably is talking about all of the statistics about how women founders don't get cash and the VCs don't fund us and blah, 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 blah. Yes. Okay. So all of that may be true, but I do think that the bigger challenge is not because I'm a woman but because of the fact that I'm dealing in women's health and it's difficult. I've worked in a lot of different male down there care issues and I have difficulty understanding all of it. And I'm sure that for investors who are predominantly male are also struggling to understand why this is so impactful. I think the other thing is there's been so much legality in the United States around women's health, there's lawsuits left and right. And so it does make some investors a bit wary. So on a positive side, we are seeing some significant wins when it comes to reimbursement. And so doctors are actually getting paid for their work. I think we're seeing some innovation come, but it's a whole lot too late, maybe. I I don't know, can I say that? Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. But now you have a bit of a unique fundraising experience, if I ascertained correctly through some of your posts. And one thing that really stood out to me is there was a comment at one point where you said something to the effect of, if you're not comfortable raising money or asking for money or whatnot, then maybe you need to find a different occupation or different job title. Yeah. Yeah. I love the boldness of that. I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on that, because obviously, like you said, that's a huge component of what you have to do. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the essence of all that anybody does really is we're all storytellers, right? We should all be telling a story. If you want someone to buy into what you're doing, whether it's to write you a check or to join your team or to stay on your team, we talk about leadership and loyalty and recruiting and all these things. But in essence, all of those things really go down to you got to tell a good story. You got to believe your story. And I don't mean like making up a story. I mean, you know, you're sharing this common experience with somebody or you're sharing how you've come to something with somebody. And so I think the challenge is it's easy for some people to ask for a sale, right? I'm selling you a product. I'm selling you a widget. I'm selling you a contract, whatever that is. But when you are raising funds for your company, you're kind of selling yourself. You are saying to an investor, trust me, trust my team, trust that I am going to take care of your money. I'm a good steward of your money and that I will not waste your money. And not only that, but that I will give you a good return. And I think when I talk to a lot of younger, newer entrepreneurs, the idea of selling yourself in a way and then getting the close on the deal, getting that check, right? You got to close the deal for whatever reason is very troubling for some people. And I mean, that's the whole point. Yeah. I'm telling my story so you can understand why am I doing this why I know I can be successful, why my team can be successful and write me a check, show me the money. Yeah. And now you have approached it in, well, from my perspective, a little bit of a unique way. And that is that you mentioned at one point that you raise a lot of capital through your own networks and through maybe not just angel investors or VCs or whatnot, but that you have been able to draw on your own social network. And so I was wondering if you could share a little bit about that process and if it's still an option, what opportunities still exist for people to invest in your company? Well, you're welcome to invest. Of course, I'm always raising money. So yes, thank you for asking. So the first part of that question though, it's kind of personal. And I think People talk about doing like a friends and family round. That's not what I'm talking about here. The way that I have approached our fundraising, done a lot of angel funds. We've done a lot of high net worth individuals. We've been very judicious in our spend. We've been very fortunate. I mean, raised very little money and have four, five, 10 Ks, five patents. We're commercial. We've got contracts. But we are now at that stage that so many startups find themselves in, which is, I hate this word, but it's the valley of death. You you finally have got everything ready to go and you run out of cash. A lot of us are in that boat. This has been a horrific year for raising money. So I, earlier in the year, really tapped into my network, but I raised a little bit over a half a million dollars in two weeks And most of it was from people in my church and their contacts. Wow. So when I talk about it being personal, when we say this is missional, it is missional on a mental, emotional level. But for us, it's also on a spiritual level that we really believe in what we're doing. And we believe that kind of for such a time as this, this is why we're doing it. 
there's a reason why this idea came to us at this time with this group of people, with these physicians, with the technology that's available today. And honestly, that's not lost on a lot of people who know me personally. They understand why we are doing what we're doing. We will not quit. We will do whatever it takes to keep us going. And so in terms of fundraising, yes, we are still fundraising. We have a note that's out. We are opening up a seed round in the first quarter. And we have some very big plans for how we are going to launch this product. Not expensive plans, but big plans. Anybody who's interested, you can find me on LinkedIn. I think I'm on the only last name London Brown. (laughs) Uh, So easy to find. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said, and you've now said it a couple of times of being so mission focused. Like this is not just a job to you. It's not just a company to you. This is a life's work. And, and I love that. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to, you found this purpose, you found this goal and this mission to orient around. And then how are you able to, like you said, storytell and express that to people who may not have experience or concern? The organ. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have a uterus. That's okay. Exactly. You know. So, so right. Or people who might think, oh, well, I'm healthy. I'm fine. But that doesn't necessarily mean anything. So I'd just love to hear how do you share that heart and that passion and really help people care and understand like you do? Yeah. I mean, it does depend on the audience and everybody will say that it depends, but it does. I mean, you have to know kind of who you're speaking to and what's going to matter for them, what's going to get them to a yes. Typically when I'm meeting with a group of, especially let's just say older gentlemen, it's easy for people to think about, oh, have you had a colonoscopy, right? Have you had a skin biopsy? Have you had all these different things that we kind of take for granted, right? These wonderful abilities to do diagnoses, and it's all driven by the ability to see. My business development manager, Jamie Harding, she goes on rant all the time about how sight is one of the most critical things in medicine. And yet here we are doing something blind. And for a typical biopsy, the failure rate is 2%. So I think for a lot of guys, they can get their head around, oh, can you imagine no anesthesia and the doctor starts just using some probe (laughs) and no (laughs) camera. And it's just like digging around to try to figure out if you have a problem. Okay. Or, you know, it's hard sometimes, but it's like getting a root canal without anesthesia and he's not looking, you know, it's, there's a lot of different, you could say this, but at the bottom of this, it's like, you got to be able to see, right? Right. So that's not a hard thing, I think, for a lot of them to understand. Many times I'll spend more time talking about the technology mm-hmm. or I'll talk about the dollar, you know, the actual economics of the situation versus the problem itself, mm-hmm. because that can be, again, it can be a little bit distressing for some audiences, <laughs> but, yes. you know, get them in the mindset of what if this was happening to you? And then- what if this was your mother or your sister or your daughter or your granddaughter, Right. you know, and she goes in, she has this horrific experience. Yeah. It's extremely painful. And then, 
you wait a couple weeks and the doctor says, oh, well, either we didn't find anything or we're not really sure because it was inconclusive. Inconclusive. That is the word that nobody wants to hear, right? Yeah. Yes. Inconclusive. What does that mean? You can't tell me what's wrong with me? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So part of it definitely is sort of putting it into almost (laughs) like, like you gave some great examples of putting it into terms where it's like, yeah, can you imagine if you had a root canal where the dentist wasn't looking at you (laughs) and you had no anesthesia, what would that feel like? That's ridiculous. And there's a solution for that. Oh, and the other one is, I like this one is a skin biopsy, Mm. right? You go in, you have something on your arm, you can see it. It's on your arm. Everybody can see it. It looks weird. Now, your wife has said to you, you need to go get that thing checked. Do you need to go get that thing? Look, you know, as we would say in the South, you go into your doctor, the doctor sees it. The doctor gets out a tool. Then the doctor turns off the light and then tries to find where it was. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of that same thing. Things you don't do blind. This is like a whole, like if I had a bazillion dollars, I'd be doing commercials about things you don't do blind. Yeah. And, right. Yes. Oh, I love that though. <laughs> I'm already yeah. starting to think of so many great ideas with that particular. Right. <laughs> exactly. You know, looking back, let's say years ago, and I recognize this is a little bit of an, a newer venture, although you've been very involved in med tech and science your whole life. Did you always have an interest in science and healthcare from an early age? Is this something that you thought you might ever do? Or was this sort of a, an evolution over time? I can tell you the exact time where I decided this is what I wanted to do. So in high school, I thought I was going to be a musician. I actually had a full scholarship in music and piano voice and drama and really thought that was my journey. And I took a chemistry class. I had put it off until my senior year and fell in love with chemistry. I mean, I always liked math. And then at the time, there were all these really interesting things going on around genetics and just so many different breakthroughs in medicine. And I just felt like that was my path. So I started studying in chemistry. I started looking at the different careers in chemistry. I knew I didn't really want to be in the lab. I didn't want to be like a benchtop scientist or anything like that. But medicine was so intriguing kind of thought that I was going to go be a researcher at like NIH or National Cancer Institute or something like that. Some big, huge impact on the world. And over time, I just, I found myself feeling more and more drawn to really understanding another form of science, which is understanding why do people make the decisions they make and why do they buy the way they buy, which you know, behavioral decision-making. And so marketing and sales was very intriguing to me. So I think I've, I just leveraged a different part of my brain on the commercial side to really figure out how do you get someone, again, you get somebody to that. Yes. Yeah. So very multi-passionate and (laughs) multi-gifted. Do you still do anything with music, voice, or drama out of curiosity? I don't do drama anymore. I mean, ask my friends. They might tell you I'm dramatic all the time. (laughs) I don't don't know who I am. 
But I don't like drama. Let's just put it that way. I try to avoid drama in my life. Look, I'm very comfortable in front of an audience. And I think all that upbringing of being on the stage and I had the opportunity to sing at the Grand Ole Opry. So it, it wasn't a foreign concept to be in front of a large audience. I think that's very helpful. I'm in a band at church and I do that kind of stuff, but I don't have time anymore. I, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to raise money. Right. Do I have time <laughs> right. But I love how that performer background may have helped contribute a little bit to your comfort on stage and giving presentation, being in front of people, because that would be a very useful skill that, that would intimidate some other people sometimes if they're suddenly in this role where, oh my gosh, now I have to be the face of the company, which means I have to do X, right. Y, and Z. Yeah. Right. Isn't that like the number one fear I think people have is yeah. to speak in front of a crowd, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. You already had a little bit of an edge there because you had that comfort. <laughs> that's yeah. Amazing. I mean, I think that's helpful, but, and I tell people this all the time. Again, if you cannot communicate your ideas or your story, then it is going to be very difficult for anybody to buy in. I may have been a scientist, but again, that training in drama, I think helped because a lot of people in science, they have a hard time articulating their ideas at a level that if you're not a PhD, you can't understand it. I'm not a PhD. There are many brilliant people around me all the time. And I'm like, can you please dumb it down for me. Like (laughs) if I can't communicate it back to you in a way that makes sense, it's not going to stick with anybody. Yeah. And speaking of not having time anymore, you are a board member of multiple other organizations. Can you share a little bit about that? And also do you get a chance to sleep or? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I've actually had to back off some of my work. I've been involved with CED, which is the Council for Entrepreneurial Development here in Raleigh for a long time, I guess 10 years. And this year I've had to really back off of that work, even though it's a passion of mine to help other entrepreneurs. I do sit on the board of Playcoast Therapeutics. I really believe in what they're doing. They're working on a new biologic for necrotizing intracolitis. And I know that's a big word, right? Basically, it's when babies are low birth weight or premature. We talk a lot about like lung development, right? They can't breathe well or whatever. A lot of their their gut doesn't work. So their stomach doesn't work. And there's not a good diagnosis for it at all. And there's also a really not a great therapy for it. There's not like a drug. Some of these kids end up having multiple surgeries that can lead to slow development. It can cause just a myriad of other really horrific things for kids. And so they have a product that we believe is going to be able to literally reset the gut and allow the, to, to be able to feed properly. So, I mean, these are like itty bitty little babies, right? So it's, I guess, adjacent to the women's health world, but it's, I just think it's a fascinating area of medicine, which is biologics, using natural substances to heal our bodies. Yeah. Not synthetic things. And it's a great mission. Yes, I do get to sleep. I, okay, I, <laughs> I do get to sleep, but I do try to get involved in things that, A, where I think I can add value. I try to get involved in things where I really know I can make a difference or help the entrepreneur. And it's something I, I believe in. Yeah. Oh, I love that. 
Yes, and paying it forward is such a wonderful thing. So what are you looking forward to as the company continues to move forward, either personally, professionally? What are some things that you're looking forward to? I'm looking forward to a vacation. I don't know. I yeah. don't know if that's a good thing to say, but yes. uh, I'm looking forward to a good a vacation. That would be nice. We did not do a vacation this year because it's just been one of those years. No. So in terms of the company, I have this vision in my head of having a building and having 20, 30 people and 10 to 15 sales reps and just this humming, working hive of people all focused in the same direction, working and aligned on the same outcomes and just this community of believers that have come together to really make a difference. So I kind of have this idea of that place where we are all together doing something. And I think that could happen for us this year. So I'm extremely excited about that. And giving people jobs, right? And giving people an opportunity to join with us in this mission. So that's exciting for me. Absolutely. Are there any moments in particular that stand out to you that really solidified for you? Yes, this is why I'm here doing what I'm doing because of something that happened that just was such a reinforcement of, yes, I am in the right place at the right time. Yes, I have two things. The first thing is we were doing research around this new biopsy tool and listening to physicians talk about what they're doing today, how they're doing it today, and hearing doctor after doctor say, what I'm doing today is just fine. Not good, not great, just fine. Hmm. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. Like, how is that an acceptable answer? And I'm not trying to diss the doctors, please. That's not exalt what I'm trying to say. To me, that just sounded like they have acquiesced or they don't feel like anybody's going to pay attention to them or their plight or their concerns. And so why bother? Yeah. And it felt very defeated. Again, for people who, and my friends who know me, like, give me a challenge. Like, just go ahead. Tell me no. Let's see where that goes. So that was one thing. The second thing is much more personal. And in my prayer time, in my devotional time, in my crying out to God to ask him, is is this really real? Is this really going to happen? I'm running out of money. All those fun things that we think about as entrepreneurs, what am I supposed to do? Kind of at your wit's end. And just having this huge sense of, yes, move forward. Yes, go forward. Yes, I'm here with you. Yes, I'm in it. And I know that sounds kind of kooky for people who are not maybe into that kind of thing. But a few years ago, I would have said, that's crazy. But I will tell you, it was an extremely meaningful event for me, and it stays with me. It keeps us going because I just, I believe in us. I have faith that this is what we're supposed to be doing. Thank you for sharing those stories. Those are both very meaningful, and it is encouraging because feeling that belief and that reassurance that, yes, you're in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time, 
is so important because it's not easy. <laughs> not, nothing no. about what you're doing is no. easy. <laughs> so you have no, to come back feel, to that. Yeah. And I feel extremely blessed that I do have that because I, a lot of my friends are thinking through what is their purpose? What should I be doing? How blah, blah, blah. It's tough when you are seeking for something that's meaningful, right? And I do believe that we've been given that opportunity. Oh, I love that. Uh, yeah, absolutely love that. Pivoting just for fun. <laughs> Imagine someone were to offer you a million dollars to teach a masterclass on anything that you want. It can be in your industry, does not have to be. What would you choose to teach and why? Yeah. There's a lot of things I think I would like to teach people. It's something my girlfriends and I have been talking about quite a bit lately, which is as a woman, and it's probably not a masterclass, it may be more of a discussion group, but it's how do you move through those different periods of your life, physically, emotionally, mentally, all of those things, and still be true to yourself. And I think I look back on my 20s and my 30s. And I think, well, wow, was that really who I was? Did I have to evolve through that to get to where I am? And if there's a way to impart any knowledge to someone to say, here are some skills you can use. Here are ways to leverage your brain or deal with hormonal issues or deal with the fact that you're having to take care of your family or whatever it is. I feel like we chunk it up a lot. We talk about, oh, mothers in the workplace, or we talk about now the big thing is menopause in the workplace, which I think is hilarious, but it's great that we're talking about all these things, but there's not a kind of path. How do you go from being an 18 year old to a 22 year old to a 30 year old to a whatever year old, right? So to me, it's really sitting down and thinking through, how do you go through each stage of your life? That would be one thing. That may sound kooky, but... <laughs> no, nope. I would sign up for that masterclass. <laughs> no, I love that. And because that's not something that is really talked about, and like you said, each stage is different and it brings its own unique sets of excitement and challenges and considerations. And you don't really hear enough people saying, Hey, here's some things to think about. Here's some things to watch out for. So, yep. I'm on board. I, yeah. I have a friend that she's in her thirties and she listens to a group of us talk and she's like, Oh, so this is what I have to look forward to. And I'm like, Oh yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So what do you wish to be remembered for after you leave this world? Well, besides what we're doing here at Luminelle, I certainly would love to have that as a legacy, as something that really impacted how, maybe not just how women were diagnosed, but how physicians started thinking about diagnosis differently. But I guess I would like to be thought of as somebody who liked to have fun and laugh and brought joy to other people. I love that. I love that answer. That's a wonderful thing. <laughs> and then final question, what is one thing that makes you smile every time you see or think about it? Well, I probably should say my husband's face. I get points for being a good wife to say that. And it's true. It's true. It's not, <laughs> I'm not making it up. It's true. Now I'm a sucker for, I really am a sucker for the movie Elf. I and love that movie. <laughs> I have three movies I watch every holiday. Uh-huh. Elf, Scrooged, 
with Bill Murray uh-huh. and Die Hard. And <laughs> I am not allowed to get those movies out until after Thanksgiving. Oh, so what works for <laughs> what works for our family is my husband and I have a tradition of always on Thanksgiving Eve, so to speak, we break bread to get it ready for stuffing. So we now kind of dry out overnight and we spend the evening watching Elf. And that's like the start of our holiday season. <laughs> it's like a really fun tradition. Do you think you could get away with that? <laughs> I don't know. I, because I will watch it like 500 times during the holiday. Fair enough. And I am a sucker for like not stupid comedy. So I'm not, I don't like slapstick or anything like that, but I just think Elf is such, I mean, it's a great story. It's got great songs. It's got, oh, Will Ferrell's hilarious. It's got a great ending. Oh, it's kind of that it's, I just, and I love James Caan. Let's just, okay. Sorry, but love me some James Caan. I just think he's amazing. (laughs) That is a fabulous answer. Definitely, that goes to the top of the most unique, and that is so fun. <laughs> I'm so glad you enjoyed that. Oh, my word. Allison, this has been such a fun conversation. I'm really inspired by what you're doing and by your focus on mission and impact and the way that you are working so diligently, even when it's tough, and it's going to be tough, <laughs> to share your story, to bring this to market, to change lives. And we are so excited to be making a donation on your behalf today to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, which since 9-11 has been helping America's heroes by providing mortgage-free homes to Gold Star and fallen first responder families with young children and by building specially adapted smart homes for catastrophically injured veterans and first responders. They are also committed to eradicating veteran homelessness and helping America to never forget September 11th, 2001. So thank you so much for choosing that organization to support. And we just really appreciate your time. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I hope that if one person hears this, one post, one mention can sometimes change a life. And so if you're a woman out there and if you've had abnormal uterine bleeding, that is your warning sign. And so go get checked. Don't wait. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go to your physician and do not accept a subpar answer. Yeah. So I think if I can get just as important as it is to get physicians doing the right thing is for us to be asking for the right thing and being our own advocates and write me a check. (laughs) (laughs) Write me a check. I'm not sure I'm actually allowed to say that. There's probably some like SEC violation I just did, but um... (laughs) write the company a check. It's important. Yes, write the company a check if you're an accredited investor. Please, (laughs) yes. No, I'm happy to talk to anybody who would like to know more. I love that. Well, thank you again. I just wish you the most continued success as you work to change lives for a better world. And thank you also to everyone who has listened to this episode. And if you're feeling as inspired as I am, I would love if you would share this episode with a colleague or two, and we will catch you next time. The Leading Difference podcast is brought to you by Valentium. 
Valentium is a contract design and manufacturing firm specializing in the development, production, and post-market support of diagnostic and therapeutic active medical devices, including implantables and wearables for neuromodulation and other class three indications. Valentium's core competencies include electrical design, mechanical design, embedded software, mobile apps, contract manufacturing, embedded cybersecurity, OT cybersecurity, systems engineering, human factors and usability, and automated test systems. Valentium works with clients worldwide, from startups seeking seed funding to established Fortune 100 companies. Visit valentium.com to explore your next step in medical device development.